Let's uh, turn our attention to God's Word and see what uh, the Spirit would uh, minister to us this morning. It's been mentioned already, it's Palm Sunday, and I want to focus our attention on that particular scripture and uh, just think about Jesus, just look at Jesus and that whole Palm Sunday day. In the Gospels, uh, to a greater or lesser extent, they do record the events that took place on uh, Palm Sunday. The, the clearest and most expansive record of, of what happened on Palm Sunday is found in Luke, and it's chapter 19. So what I'd like us to do is I will read it, and if you have your, your Bibles, you can read it with me. I'll be reading from the NIV, or just sit back and, and listen. And what I want us to do today, I want us to to fix our attention on Jesus, focus on him. We're going to have a time together where we just look at Jesus, look at what Jesus did. You see him has the, the centrality of all our Christianity. We can get involved in lots of ministries and church and things, and there is a danger that the centrality of Christ moves somewhat to the edge as we actively get on with what we do, but I want us to bring Christ really back into the center of things today. So as I read this account, just focus your attention on Jesus and what he is doing, the things that he is saying, and we'll open up these scriptures. It's Luke then, chapter 19, and starting at verse 28, I'm going to read down to verse 46. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down, uh, the, the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that had, they had seen. Blessed is the Lord who comes in the, sorry, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace on earth and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and then they'll encircle and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. 
They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Then he entered the temple area and he began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. It's, it's a lot of things that happened in that one day for Jesus, starting early in the morning as he sets off for Jerusalem and ending uh, late in the afternoon, him clearing out the temple of all the people that were buying The original Palm Sunday wasn't called Palm Sunday. It was just another day. It's only the church that has called it Palm Sunday. We know of Jesus that uh, he never sought the limelight. He didn't want to be particularly center stage and all the lights upon him. But of course, what he did and the things that he said attracted thousands of people to him. We know on one occasion he fed 5,000 plus people. We know that sometimes the crowds were so much, he would take himself up a mountain or he would get himself into a boat so the crowds could, could be comfortable and, and that they would all see him and hear him. So uh, he didn't attract people to himself per se as a, a showman might or a, a person who was full of ego and full of himself. He didn't do it, but people came anyway. In fact, Jesus, it says about him, he was humble. He was, he was kind. He was, he was gentle. He wasn't arrogant and showy. Jesus says about himself in Matthew 11 and 29. He says, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart. I think that's what it is that attracts us to him. He's not a showy man. He's not putting on a show. He's not all himself. He's humble. He's gentle. He has a kind heart. And this is what attracts us to him. But on this day, he does things that all eyes will be focused on him. All the crowd that were cheering him as he came, uh, made entrance into Jerusalem, I don't know how many, I would have thought there were a good few thousand people. It was a crowd, the, the Bible tells us here. There are lots of people would have been at Jerusalem for the, the, the Feast of, of Passover. So literally thousands of people would be there. Um, the people of, of Galilee close by, it was only a week or so before that um, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And you know, news like that just travels so quickly. And I'm sure many people had come. I asked myself the question, how did they know he was coming? How did they know that? I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't put it up on an email or anything. It, nothing like that. So it must have been that God, God had stirred the hearts and minds of thousands of people to welcome Jesus as he came along the road that day. 
and then I thought of not only his entrance into Jerusalem, but when he went to the marketplace, uh, sorry, the, 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 well, the outside area, it, he had turned it into a marketplace with the buying and the selling. There must have been thousands of people there. So when he started to, to move things out and he got angry, remember, and he, he made a whip and so forth, all eyes must have been upon him. That day, all eyes were fixed on Jesus, and God arranged it that way. Normally, humble and gentle, but today, all eyes are fixed upon him. I want to encourage you to fix your eyes upon Jesus, not just today, but every day of your life. Fix your eyes upon him there's good reason to do that because it is he that we worship it is him who has saved us christianity isn't about a religion or a way of doing things it's about a person the person the lord jesus christ so as you stand with me or sit with me this morning or just listen we'll focus our attention on this man, Jesus. And I want to show you some very wonderful things about him. I've realized that as Christians, it's, it's easy to be distracted, to turn our eyes away from the person of Jesus, not distracted to do anything bad, but distracted to just get so involved in what we're doing, we can somehow lose sight of the centrality of Christ get so involved with maybe, I don't know, evangelism or get so involved with uh, social action, uh, with, with Bible studies or, or, or with the business of church. We can get so involved, we lose sight a little bit of Christ. We just add him on as a, as a footnote to things. All those things are good and we should involve ourselves in them and we should make ourselves busy with them, but never take our eyes off the reason we do evangelism. Remember, even in evangelism, Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw others to me. So the heart of evangelism is to lift up Jesus Christ, not to tell people how wonderful it is to be a Christian, that's true, or what a great church you go to, but it's to lift up Jesus so people see the person of Jesus. And all social action is Jesus. Jesus in you reaching out to the needs of the poor. When we study the word of God, we may need to make sure that Jesus is always in the sermon. Jesus is always there. Not just a footnote to the sermon, but all of scripture is pointing to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then what we're going to do now is just look at four scenes from this particular day, his entrance into Jerusalem. The first scene I want to take you to is that Jesus is a careful planner, a careful planner. This week, and uh, Nikki has already mentioned, we call this the Passion Week. We say it's everything is leading from this Palm Sunday to when Jesus 
dies on the cross, Good Friday, and then there's the resurrection. It's called the Passion Week. As I thought about this, I thought, well, every moment of this week is perfectly planned by the Father. It's, it's, and, and everything that the Father has planned, as I look at it, it seems that Jesus knows everything that's going on. He knows every detail. Uh, nothing is acting uh, or, or happens suddenly or impulsively. Nothing is left to chance or, or left at the last moment as though God has to shift things around to make it all work. Everything is planned. Everything is ordered. And Jesus, he walks through the week and he knows, he knows because of his closeness with the Father, he knows what's coming. He knows the next thing to do. I'm going to suggest to you that this is how Jesus wants us to live our lives. Not, not things happening suddenly or impulsively or we never know what's going on, but God plans our life. He orchestrates our life. And as we walk in tune with the Lord, he shows us what's coming. We have a peace about us because we know what God has in store for us. Your birthday. If, if you're married, your, your wedding day. Your, your graduation day, if you graduated, the day you left school, the day you, 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 you got your first job, uh, your, your birthdays, all of these things, are they accidents or were they planned? In God's overview of your life, has he planned your life? Has he seen it all in advance? Has he made allowances for things to work out in your life? I believe he has. Let's have a look at this first day early in the morning. Jesus starts the day by sending two of his disciples ahead of him to a village. He says, when you get to the village, you'll find a colt. It'll be tied, tied to a, a post or something, I presume. And he says, then when you get there, I want you to untie the colt and I want you to bring him to me. And he said, if anyone questions you about what you're doing, just tell them, just say this, the Lord needs it. You won't have to say anything else. Just say, the Lord needs it. Now, you've got to ask yourself the question, how did Jesus know all that? Had he been there before to the village and made prior arrangements? Had he agreed with the owner of the cult that some men will come and uh, this is the password. They will say to you, the Lord needs it. Uh, I don't think so somehow. I don't think it was like that. As I read on in my Bible, it appears that the arrangement for this cult to be picked up on this particular morning was arranged 600 years before <laughs> what do you mean, Philip? Yes, the father had arranged that this cult would be there. He arranged the password and everything 600 years before the event happened. And to prove it, he prophesied about it. This is what he says in Zechariah 9 and 9. He says, rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem. Well, that's what they were doing. They were shouting shouting for their king, shouting, 
for their savior. They were from Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Well, it can only speak of Jesus. He was the only righteous one. And he came with salvation. He came gentle, it says, riding on a donkey. Well, you say that seals it. It couldn't be no one else. On a colt, the fold of a donkey. You see, God had planned it 600 years before it ever happened. And the password and everything had been planned. God wants to assure you, listen, there is a plan for you. It isn't haphazard. We don't roll on from day to day and I have to plug things, God says. He says, no, you walk with me and there's a plan for your life. And just as Jesus knew the plan that God had for him, we too know the plan. It's not always easy. Remember, Jesus knew he had to go all the way to the cross. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to the Lord, Lord, is there another way? Can we just change the plan slightly? But he says, I know that's not possible. I have to walk through that which you have planned for my life. So Jesus then is a careful planner. Secondly, I see that Jesus here is very courageous. Jesus knew, and he knew this for some time, they were making plans to kill him. It would have been the most sensible thing, rather than riding into Jerusalem as, as a great uh, personage, uh, everyone seeing him and make a fuss, if he slipped into Jerusalem at night, just, just quietly in the day, I mean, there were many gates around Jerusalem. He could have not gone in the main one. He could have slipped in one of the other ones. No, today, Jesus is center stage. Today, all eyes are fixed upon him. Today, Jesus will confront his enemies. And we know he did. Even before he got to Jerusalem, his enemies were on the road and they contested with him what he was doing. They challenged him. Remember, they said, you shouldn't let the people praise you like this. And he said, listen, if they don't praise me, the stones themselves will praise me. It says, the crowd along the road began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Jesus was being bold, courageous. He wasn't hiding spreading their cloaks on the road, it says, and branches they had cut in the field. They laid them before him. This too is prophesied, just as Zechariah prophesied the other thing. This too, this event was prophesied. Let me read it to you. It's found in Psalms 118, 26 and 27. He says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was the very thing that they were shouting out to Jesus. With boughs, it says, in hand, they joined in the, uh, the festal procession. So with the, with the palm leaves, they were waving them. Jesus is humble. We've said this. Jesus is gentle. But he is also courageous. He's not fearful. This is encouraging. You see, we can be humble and gentle but very courageous at the same time. Jesus comes to 
confront his enemies. You know, in life, we walk through many dark value, valleys. It says in Psalm 23, doesn't it? Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, death isn't the only valley we walk through. There are lots of dark valleys that we have to walk through. But I'm glad I walked through it with Jesus. Jesus, the gentle one, yes. The humble one, yes. But the courageous one. The one who has courage to face his enemies head on. We walk through it with him. Remember what he said to us? He said this in the Old and the New Testament. He said, I'll never leave you and I'll never let you down. I will always be with you. You can trust in me. And there's no one more courageous than Christ himself. The third image I want to take you to first, I showed you Jesus as a, well, a careful planner. Everything is organized well by him and the father. Secondly, that Jesus is tremendously courageous as a man doing that. He's not hiding. He's coming boldly to do what he needs to do. Jesus is now coming as a king. I, I, I didn't know these facts. I had to read some of the stuff that I'm going to share with you now. Apparently, in those days, if a king was victorious in war, he rode uh, as a hero on a horse. When he wasn't riding on a horse, he would ride on a colt or an ass. You know, you think, oh, a king on a donkey. Well, it's only because we don't ride on donkeys much in England. In fact, um, the only time I can remember anyone riding on a donkey, I remember I took my children once to the seaside and um, they went on a donkey ride. I can't even remember having a donkey ride myself, but you see, our concept of riding on a donkey seems very strange to us, but not strange in this culture. A king would have ridden on a donkey in peacetime when he wasn't trying to prove himself to be a great warrior hero. He would have ridden on a donkey, indicating peace. Jesus came as king, a king of love and a king of peace, not as a conquering military hero. Jesus then came as one to fulfill prophecy. He came as a warrior and he came as a king, but a king filled with peace and love. Let me take you now to my fourth image of Jesus. Just on this short distance that he, he rode into Jerusalem, the image is him of a a broken-hearted saviour. As he turns the road uh, and he, he comes open and he sees Jerusalem in front of him, so part of the journey he couldn't see the city, as he comes, it says as he sees the city, he starts to weep. He weeps for the city. In, in the reading there, if you read it in Luke, I don't it doesn't appear that he's talking to anyone. He's talking to the city. He seems to be talking to every person in the city. He's, he's, he's saying he knows what's coming, almost like a prophet. And of course, what he says is a prophecy. He says, terrible things are gonna come to the city. The city is going to be destroyed. 
and all the people will be destroyed. And we know that within one generation in AD 70, the Romans came and they completely sacked the whole city of Jerusalem. Not one stone stood on another. And we know that all the people were dispersed throughout the whole world. And the nation of Israel was never a nation. The people of God never had a nation again until about 2000 years when Israel was made a nation again. Jesus wept for them. He said, you've turned your back on him and now there's no way back for you. Although I'm going to go to the city and die, your chance has been missed. Your opportunity is missed. I could have done so much. And he weeps. And of course, if Jesus weeps, God weeps because Jesus is representing the father. So we have a savior now who is the God of this world, who is weeping over the people. Can I say to you, Jesus feels your pain. You say, well, I don't want Jesus to feel my pain. I want him to, to do something about it. Well, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes because of circumstances or reasons that we don't know or we don't understand, many times he just delivers us and sets us free and heals us and oh, does so many wonderful things in our lives and provides for us. But sometimes he doesn't. And, and in, that, in that he feels our pain, he feels our suffering, and he weeps with us. He's with us. There. There are my pictures of Jesus. Thank you for standing with me this morning or sitting a while with me and looking at the Savior. Th thank you for looking at him again. Next week, you'll stand again and you'll look at the Savior. But next week, he'll be hanging on a cross, but you will look at him. You'll gaze upon him. You'll gaze upon the agony and then you'll rejoice in the tremendous resurrection. You'll look again at the Savior. Can I encourage you that you every day must look to Jesus? He needs to always be the centrality of our faith. We must never take our eyes off him. Someone once said, Christianity isn't so much a religion, of course it is a world religion, but it is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, fix, fix your eyes. Never take them off him. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter or the finisher, the completer of our faith. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. God bless you all. God bless you. All right. Thank, Thank you. you.